Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. How dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? determining her own future. How dare they try to deny women their rights and their freedoms. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. PlaceTV.com slash Stu is the place to go. Subscribe with the promo code Stu and save 10 bucks. Author Douglas Murray is here to talk to us with an extended interview about the war on the West that absolutely is going on. But we start by doing Alito v. Roe. Yes, Roe versus Wade. It looks like it's in trouble, doesn't it? Uh, we, of course, got the draft ruling earlier this week. And I've been threatening all week to kind of go through it. And I thought today would be a good day to go through it because a lot of people have been talking about the, the leak and the repercussions and all the stuff surrounding it. But what does it actually say? I think this is really important. So, as you know, the Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights, as co- according to a draft opinion. Uh, we have, of course, the ruling. It's 98 pages. The last 35 or so are examples and references and things like that. Uh, we won't go into all of that right now, but let me get into some of the argument itself. This is, of course, Samuel Alito, who is 72 years old, and I swear he looks like 52. What is what kind of weird deal with the devil does Samuel Alito have? Do we know? He doesn't look 72 to me. Anyway, um, here's what he writes. At the time of Roe, 30 states still prohibited abortion at all stages. In the years prior to that decision, about a third of the states had liberalized their laws. But Roe abruptly ended that political process. It imposed the same highly restrictive regime on the entire nation, and it effectively struck down the abortion laws of every single state. This is one of the things that's important about this. You you know, at one point, people got to make their own decisions on abortion, a very divisive issue. You know, red states of today would make one decision, blue states the other. Roe versus Wade just forced everyone to take on the blue state standard. And that was the problem. It's why it's created 50 years of turmoil. Uh, As uh, the Alito draft leak goes on, we hold that Roe and Casey, Casey is the 1990s abortion case, must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion. No such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one in which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept 
of ordered liberty. It doesn't, of course, uh, add up to either one of those. I mean, this is a this is a brand new thing in 1973. They kind of just made it up out of whole cloth. Uh, it goes on. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. A freaking men. And this is one of the reasons why you want Alito writing this opinion. Thomas would have been great, too. But Alito has a way with with clarity and uh, force, and he, he used that here. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, which is kind of what they promised back then, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. Can anyone disagree with that sentiment? It's time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. The permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved like most important questions in our democracy by citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. How many times have you seen this week uh, liberals, Democrats, media members go on TV? I, I repeat myself, of course, with those three. Uh, examples. Uh, how many times have you seen them go on TV and say, I can't believe these guys are taking away these rights. They're taking away these rights from the people. No, that's not true. The, the American people can choose whether they want those rights or not by voting for them, by electing people who would vote them and put those laws in. I still don't think that's the right solution. I think that's too weak. When it comes to the life of a baby, we should have more protections than what do you guys want to vote for? But that is all it does. If you want these abortion rights, then fight for them, just like you fight for a tax cut or, in your case, a tax hike. That's what you do. This is how this stuff works in America. Uh, the Alito opinion goes on. The inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. And as they point out, 30 states didn't have abortion at all when Roe versus Wade was decided. It was something that the founders just kind of thought was obvious, frankly. Nobody was having them back in those days, at least in these numbers. And it was not something that was, generally speaking, uh, looked upon kindly. Of course, as we got to a point where medicals, uh, the medical um, technology advanced, we started seeing things that people back in the 1700s had no idea about. And, uh, you know, look, I can, I can, if they put it in the Constitution, I would have to say, look, to overturn it, we need to have a constitutional amendment, even though we now have much more uh, understanding as to what this process is and what a baby looks like at the time uh, when they're at three, four, five, six months. But that is not the case. They didn't put it in the Constitution for a very good reason. And, you know, the fact that you could make it up, you know, 200 years after the founding is not a good enough reason to keep it any longer than we have to have it. Um, one of the big complaints about this was that we, there's precedent here. There are 50 years of precedent. And, you know, look, it did happen 50 years ago. Of course, it followed 150 years of precedent before that. Lots of things that are bad ideas get overturned that had real precedent and several rulings behind them. We could go through those. But as Alito writes, on many other occasions, this court has overruled important constitutional decisions. We know a lot of the names. You know, uh, you know there was a time when, uh, you know, uh, everything from, I mean, gay marriage is one that, of course, the left absolutely loves these days. We know about uh, internment camps. We know about um, you know, just, you know, 
the ability to have sex if you're gay was a crime in, in a, long, a large chunk of our nation's history. A lot of these things were overturned in the courts, just the way that it was, despite the fact there was tons of rulings that would have backed them up if we just stuck to precedent. Nobody really wants precedent. Precedent is an argument when you, you already have the law on your side and you just want to keep it that way. You know, no Democrat argues precedent when we're talking about uh, Citizens United. They all want it overturned. They don't care about precedent because they didn't like the ruling. That's just the way this is. Uh, Alito goes on. Roe was on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. And Casey perpetuated its errors. And the errors do not concern some arcane quarter of the law uh, of little importance to the American people. Rather, wielding nothing but raw judicial power, the court usurped the power to address a question of profound moral and social importance that the Constitution unequivocally, unequivocally... leaves for the people. Casey described itself as calling both sides of the national controversy to resolve their debate. But in doing so, Casey necessarily declared a winning side. And that is, of course, very true. That's not what the court's supposed to do. It's not supposed it's supposed to look at the Constitution and say if it's constitutional or not. It's not supposed to say, well, let me find a point that we can all agree on and then don't mention anything else about that topic after today. That's not the way the American people work. And it's certainly not how the Supreme Court is supposed to work. Those on the losing side, those who sought to advance the state's interest in fetal life, could no longer seek to persuade their elected representatives to adopt policies consistent with their views. You know, that's he's summarizing there, but that's our system of government. Uh, The court short circuited the democratic process by closing it to the large number of Americans who dissented in any respect. From Roe, this court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling people to move on. When you tell people to move on in America, generally speaking, they do the opposite. That's us. Those are the people you got. I'm sorry, you got the people who got on the Mayflower. Well, not the Mayflower exactly, but the people who got on the boat, they came over here and they said, you know what? Screw all you all people over there. You guys, you guys are annoying. You're doing all your king crap. We're going over there. We're just going to try something new. That, you got, that's who you have here. Then you have immigrants from all over the world who said, you know what? All the stuff we're doing here, we're, we don't like this. We're going over there. We're the people that are, we're the badasses. We're going to get on a boat. We're going to go over there and check, uh, check out the situation over there and make a country of our own. We're an all-star team here. We're people who want to be able to express ourselves. So stop telling us to shut up and let everybody participate in the system that has been designed and has stood for 250 years. We end this opinion where we began as we get to the conclusion of the Alito opinion. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. The judgment of the Fifth Circuit is reversed, and the case is remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. Will it be? We're going to see here. Uh, we're going to see what, how this all turns out, of course, over the next weeks, months, and years. But this is, no matter what happens with everything surrounding it, this is the truth. It's the truth. It's been the truth since the beginning. Even people on the left, uh, legal experts on the left, have said, Roe versus Wade, I really want abortion to be legal, but that ruling sucked. What were they doing? This is a very common thing in legal circles, and, and, and it's obvious. It's obvious. The moral reasoning is, is true, and the logical reasoning is true. Look, the truth is, overturning Roe versus Wade is an important step in the fight for life. 
if it happens. We will be one baby step closer to protecting innocent life, as your country, our faith, and basic common sense requires. But this is not the end. It's still the beginning. Changing laws can only do so much. People can travel to blue states that will allow abortion with no restrictions. Organizations will line up to pay for that travel. Amazon is going to pay $4,000 in travel expenses to its employees who want to participate in this form of abortion tourism. Good news. Good news. I guess if they have to ship back the remains, Amazon does offer free two-day delivery with your Prime membership. Even if America outlawed abortion completely, which we should, there are organizations lined up around the world to send abortion pills in the mail. That one part of our healthcare system that the left will be glad to leave completely unregulated. Eventually, people will need to be persuaded of the truth. That's how this ends. That abortion is an ugly scar on humanity and that people should recoil in horror that it was ever allowed. It seems far away now, yes, but it probably felt far away uh, that slavery would be looked at in horror back in Lincoln's era. If slavery were somehow legalized today, you wouldn't order slaves from Amazon, who, by the way, would offer you free two-day delivery with your Prime membership. You aren't buying slaves today because you correctly recognize that it was wrong. It was one of the worst ideas humanity has ever come up with. You're not avoiding the purchase of slaves because it's illegal. You're avoiding it because it's a revolting thought to supposedly own another human being. I would propose that eventually, probably long after we're dead and buried, but eventually, the American people will come to view abortion in the same way as an inexplicable error of history, as an embarrassment, as a black mark on humanity as a whole, to our absolute shame. Until then, we should celebrate each little victory we have fought for. We should celebrate every life that might now exist. But we should also realize there is much, much more left to be done. When you're running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. We were seeing this even from people, activists on the left who are saying, I tried to open up this business and oh my gosh, all the restrictions. It's crazy. HR manager salaries, if you want to get someone professional to do it, well, you're talking 70 grand a year, but not with Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E. -E. It's a company that is created specifically for small business. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat, uh, which is fantastic. And you deal with the same person over and over again. You're not switching around to a million different people. You get someone who's dedicated to your business. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day to day, all for just $99 a month. Think of that savings for a second. If you're running a small business, you know what the margins are. Going from 70 grand a year to $99 a month is going to make a big difference. Month to month, no hidden fees. Cancel anytime. Go to Bambi.com slash right now to schedule your free HR audit. B-A-M-B-E-E dot -E com slash stew. Don't forget the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Bambi dot com slash stew.
Joining me now in the studio is Douglas Murray. He's a columnist for the New York Post, associate editor of The Spectator, and author of the brand new book, The War on the West, which is available now wherever you get your books. Make sure to get a copy. It's great. It's a great read. Douglas, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, it's a great pleasure. Uh, let's talk about the thesis of the book, um, The War in the West. It, it's interesting. You hit on something early on in the book that I thought was fascinating. We all sort of noticed that um, black conservatives are still the enemy. Mm-hmm. Any member of a minority group, uh, a, a group that normally would be an oppressed group mm. that happens to have conservative thought, they're still the enemy. They're still bad. Mm-hmm. And you, I think that's kind of the thesis of the book here, or at least what set you on this path. Because when you realize that, you realize mm. it's not about these groups. It's a war on the West, the Western thought, Western civilization. Well, that first thought is something I tackled in my previous book, in The Madness of Crowds, where mm. I pointed out that, you know, whenever anyone of any minority group transgressed the, uh, the alleged orthodoxy mm. and revealed that they were a conservative, they were thrown out of that group. Right. So uh, Peter Thiel, after he came out for Trump, was called not gay mm. by the main gay magazine in America. Uh, when Kanye West came out uh, for, for the Republicans... Similarly, he's described as no longer black in the Atlantic magazine and so on. Uh, Feminists, when they don't go all the way with the radical left, were described as no longer feminists. Mm. So that's certainly a trend in our time. But what I'm talking about in the war in the West is in a way deeper even than that. That's a sort of symptom of a particular problem. What I'm describing is the way in which essentially the, the most important to identify movement of our time is the movement against everything that we've inherited in the West. Mm. The desire to tear everything down that is ours, to be turned against everything if it's ours, to admire things so long as they're from somewhere else, to admire other ideas as long as they were come up with by other peoples. And the most obvious version of this, the clearest example of it, is the attempt in modern-day America and the wider West to destroy and then fundamentally rewrite our history. Mm. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, I, as I was reading the book, you were going over a bunch of examples of how we look at something that's clearly better here mm-hmm. in the West and uh, compare it to you compare it to something overseas that is much worse. Uh, yeah. And we tend to praise the thing. And what popped into my mind was, was the way we treat medicine. A lot of times yeah. what Western medicine is vilified. Uh, it's, you know, these, we always talk about these evil companies that do all these terrible things, while ancient Chinese medicine is something we constantly when, praise. When, uh, when somebody says they're turning to Chinese medicine, you know they're about to die. <laughs> yeah, okay. right. There's a reason that Western medicine works. I say towards the end of the book, You know, we've been polite about a lot of these things, but Mm. maybe it's time to stop being polite. Mm. Maybe it's time to say, look, Western medicine isn't preferable because it was come up with by white people. It's preferable because it works. You know, the not Mm. polite thing that we might be being pushed to if this anti-Western, anti-American craze continues is to say when we need a vaccine for, for instance, a... uh, pandemic, mm-hmm. we don't go to First Nations peoples. Right. Okay? We don't go and look at historic Chinese medicine. I'm afraid we just don't. We know that the Western system of science works best, not because it's from the West, but because it works. Now, extrapolate that out on a whole set of other things too. Mathematics, uh, reason, logic, the rational method. 
Never mind once you get to the arts and all of the flourishing of the arts that has happened in the West. Mm -hmm. These things are good because they work and they, they happen to be great. It's not because they come from the West, let alone just because they predominantly were created by white people. But, you know, it's, it's as if anything that was created by that worst type of person, the dead white male, mm. has to be perpetually degraded and done down. Yeah. You, you, go in, you, you have no fear in this book, and you no. go into all of these areas. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to see some of the examples you brought up as to just how, uh, how we've decided it's okay to say terrible, terrible things about white people. You yes. bring up a, a, um, an example from one of the late night shows where they, where they talk about the, the amount of white people in the country went down in the census, yes. and the audience, I'm sure mostly white people, clap. Yes. How, what other context would that be acceptable? Exactly. If, uh, if the census found that there had been a decline in the number of black Americans, for instance, and a studio talk show host said, you know, the number of black Americans has gone down this year, and the studio audience whooped and clapped, <laughs> we would say, wow, what a racist audience. Right. Well, same thing. Same thing. Wow, what a racist audience. Same thing when we hear people talking about white fragility white fragility, mm. white rage, all these pathologizing terms about white people. Do it with anyone else. Would we expect Mark Milley, the, chair, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to sit in front of Congress and be asked his views on black rage? No. So it's wrong whichever way you do it. But the own, we know that with every group. But the only group today that people think it is permissible to say these things about are white people. Yeah, it really is a strange thing. Um, and you go into, you, you know, you talk about CRT and, and, and these things that are going on and this idea of lived experience, hmm. which is an incredible tool, I think, if you can utilize it in an argument, because no one can experience your life exactly. So you're able to, I guess, kind of craft your own truth. Yes, exactly. I mean, you can say, you know, this, this thing, whatever it is, does not reflect my lived experience. Lived experience, by the way, is such a ridiculous phrase. I mean, there's no other type, is there? <laughs> right. Well, no, unlived it. experience, right. you know. Um, but this goes against my lived experience. It's meant to be one of the shutting down terms of our time. Mm. Uh, we all have experiences. Uh, we know that we cannot adapt everything in our society to people who, as I, I've written before, offer you the following um, thing on a plate. They mm -hmm. say, yeah. you must simultaneously spend your life trying to understand me, full stop. Also, you will never understand me. Right. Okay. <laughs> this is a, this is I'm a not, theme. I'm not wasting my time with this. Yeah. You can't be both, both insurmountable and something I must devote my life to understanding. Mm -hmm. And besides, it's not very interesting. I mean, you know, one of the things I, I point out in this book is that, as I say, you have things like, none of this is at the fringe. All of this is run right through American culture now and wider Western culture. You have in America equitable maths. Equitable maths is meant to be a form of maths that, that ignores what is said to be the white supremacy built into maths. Now, what are the other things other than maths that work? Well, Equitable maths, which is now taught in American schools, says there are other ways of knowing. It's never explained what other ways of knowing are, but non-white students are alleged to have it. Hmm. As if there's some nascent form of mathematics in their heads that is not accessible to white people. I say in the book, 
tell me what this means. <laughs> Does it mean anything? Yeah. Does other ways of knowing ever come up with any formula to answer any question? Show me one time it's worked anywhere. Find me someone who can actually tell me what this voodoo is. There is no answer. Mm. We're being tricked. The whole trick is get rid of everything if it's identified as being white and Western. Mm. Yeah, you know, that, is, there, is there any part of you that's surprised that we've come back this way? I, I was under this impression that we all realized that judging people by the color of their skin was a really bad idea. It's something yes. you shouldn't even consider when making decisions in your life. We've now completely reversed that. What we have to realize is, this is an insight that philosophers have made before, people at the moment are talking about justice and they don't mean justice, mm. they mean revenge. Ibram mm. okay. X. Kendi, one of the great uh, sages of the so-called anti-racist, actually racist movement we see in our time, uh, actually says in his work, in order to make up for past oppression, we must have present day oppression. Mm -hmm. In order to make up for past prejudice, we must have present prejudice. This line of thinking says that because undoubtedly black people in countries like America were prejudiced against in the past, the answer to correcting that historic wrong is to be racist to white people in the present. Right. I mean, anyone who thinks that is a good strategy for long-term peace in America and the wider West is clearly delusional. You've hit on my, my favorite Ibram X. Kendi quote there. Extraordinary. Which is extraordinary. I couldn't believe it when I first read it. I honestly thought it was a, a scam. Like, I thought someone had posted a fake yes, quote I on the internet. I thought it was written by an go, enemy of his. Yeah, yes. I, me too. Uh, mm. You know, the, the only way to cure past discrimination is, is present discrimination. The only way to, uh, to cure pe pe present discrimination is future discrimination. This is like something I would expect from someone who's described as alt-right or some, yeah. you know, terrible person. Some racist. But it, right. I'm afraid we have to be frank about this. This is the this is racism. racism. This a is racism. racism. You, you Absolutely. mentioned something it, right there, where I, I, and I wrote it down because I thought it was so such a great way of looking at the entire world when it comes to Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, everywhere you turn, the exits are blocked. Yes. A white person who wants to live in this world can never please this system because mm. every single direction you go, they say you're bad if you go there. That's right. There really is no way to win here. No, I mean, let, let's do it again on, on Robin D'Angelo, the, the high priestess of so-called white fragility. Mm. Um, Robin D'Angelo, who is, of course, herself white, uh, um, she, she says in her book, White Fragility, that there is no good form of being white. No good form of being white. Mm. And... You can't escape being white. <laughs> now, again, How does let's that work? try this any other way around. Mm -hmm. Imagine if Robin D'Angelo or any other race huckster like her decided to say, there is no good form of being black mm. and you're stuck. You can't not be black. Mm -hmm. We would say, there's an old racist. Yeah. Okay. Well, once again, here's a racist. Yeah. This is what it is. This is what it is. It really is. And we, it has to be called out. It has to be called out. Um, let me talk about uh, the, the George Floyd thing for a minute. You mm. go over this in the book. And it, it was amazing. And we, I think we all felt 
this escalation. Mm -hmm. An escalation from something where we all sort of at the beginning kind of came together Mm -hmm. and said, at the very least, this is really bad, a really Mm -hmm. terrible incident. Uh, We want to know the details behind it. Was there race behind it? We never really saw evidence of that, but, you know, some people believe that. And it continually, though, escalated out of that. It Mm. went, it, it almost seemed like the left would rather have had us disagree about that incident and wanted to use it against us rather than come together and say, hey, you know, we all agree this is an injustice, let's solve it. It's a very important moment to seize upon. As I see it, the, the, the killing of George Floyd, which has never been shown to be a racist incident. Now, some people might say, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you talking about? If there was evidence that Derek Chauvin, the policeman who was found responsible for the death of George Floyd, was doing it because he was driven by racism, mm-hmm. that would have been brought out at the trial. Right? There, sure. was, there would have been no, there was no reason, if there was evidence of that, for the prosecution to keep that away at the trial. They never raised it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't part of the prosecution. And I also cite, there are cases, and I go into one in particular in the US, one in, here in Texas. Yeah, talk about this one, because I live here and I didn't even know the story. The case of Tony Temper, yeah. a few years before uh, George Floyd's death, Tony Temple was killed in almost exactly the same way as George Floyd. Mm. And uh, he happened to be a white American. He was suffering from uh, various mental illnesses. And he begged the police for his life. And we don't know, most people don't know his name. Mm -hmm. And and in fact, there was no particular outcry. It's only because of good local journalists here in Texas that the police body cam footage ever came out. But here's the thing. It was immediately asserted with George Floyd that this must be a racist killing. And then it went on to something else. This is representative of policing in America. This is representative of America. Mm. This is representative of the West. Mm. Okay, it went out in no time. Within a few days, people in London uh, were assaulting a statue of Winston Churchill in Parliament Square (laughs) in the name of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Because they had been told racist killings like this happen all the time in America and it's outrageous. Well, of course, if you thought that that happened all the time and nobody cared about it, of course you'd be outraged. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the case. The fact is that this, this horrible, horrible killing was used by the radical left as the example of what our societies are in the West because they were waiting for such an opportunity. They had already decided we were white supremacist societies, uh, internally racist societies, institutionally racist societies. So when this came along, this was their perfect opportunity to say, you see, we told you so. And in the process, Western societies, including most obviously America, which are the least racist societies in the world, were condemned as the most racist. And even America's ambassador to the United Nations last year went to the United Nations, used the example of George Floyd as an example of the institutional racism Mm. of America, and immediately the Chinese ambassador to the United Nations said, the Americans have done something unheralded in the history of this place. They have come here today to confess their guilt and therefore they have no right to tell the Chinese what to do. Well, China happens to have a million people in concentration camps, so very convenient for them. Yeah, yeah, it, it happens to be going on all over the world, as you point out in the book as well. Do, do you have a few more minutes? Can, of we, course. We, right, can we take a quick break? We'll come back on the, with more, uh, with Douglas Murray on the other side. The new book is The War on the West. Uh, make sure you get a copy of it. We'll be back in a second. 
Back with Douglas Murray. The book is The War on the West. Uh, can we do a little bit more on uh, CRT? You go through the kind mm. of the foundations of critical race theory. Yeah. And you talk about how assertions are made without evidence. This is not something, you, normally you need the evidence to make the assertion. That's not how, that's not the foundation here. No. A CRT, which everyone has heard so much about in recent uh, years, really, um, has been developed for decades in a few universities in America. Um, the fascinating thing about it is, first of all, it's, it is simply about assertions. Mm -hmm. uh, the assertions are that, for instance, we live in a cis-heteronormative white patriarchal society, you know, tongue twisters like that. Mm. Um, and, it is, and it asserts, that CRT asserts that, for instance, white people are guilty from birth. Um, now, there's something very important about CRT, which is that it's a theory which has not so far survived its first interaction with the public. Mm. Because when American parents in the last year discovered what their children were being told, not just taught, but told, they, of course, were quite rightly up in arms. Mm -hmm. uh, many parents said, hang on, uh, this means that if my child is white, you're telling them that they're less than other children. Well, again, it would be appalling if uh, schools in America were teaching black children they were less than other children. This is schools teaching white children they are less than other children simply because of the color of their skin, saying that they are particularly guilty. Now, this, this is a demonstration. This theory, which must have looked wonderful in theory <laughs> at Berkeley and other places, sure. in practice is indeed a form of outright racism. Mm -hmm. And I am personally thrilled that American parents have just cottoned on to this fast and have said no. Because if there's going to be an answer to a lot of this that's going on, that is one of the answers. A bottom-up rebellion to say you will not indoctrinate our children with racism of any kind. Yeah, we will see people like Ibram Kendi and, and Robin D'Angelo line their pockets. I mean, they're making millions and millions of dollars on this nonsense. You highlighted an interview with uh, Robin D'Angelo where when asked for evidence, her evidence was that, uh, well, white people have a collective glee when they see the punishment of black bodies. Yeah. It's like, well, first of all, I don't know who you're hanging out with. Unbelievable. Uh, you need to have different people you're having yeah, lunch I with. Yeah, I mean, um, yes, Robin D'Angelo was asked for evidence, as you say, makes another a crazy yes. assertion. assertion. Um, oh. that, that's her stock in trade. By the way, there's something very interesting about these people. They will never debate. Neither Kendi nor D'Angelo will accept any invitations to debate. They won't debate me. They won't debate their other critics. They put these wild, mm. racist assertions out there and then leave them. They won't even defend them in public. Why? Because they can't be defended. Mm. Why is it important to them to undermine Western culture, the mm. history of the West, the good things that have come mm. uh, from America and other nations. Why is that so crucial? Well, it's not just them. I mean, there's a huge movement of people now in America and the wider West. The most troubling is the example of what they're doing to our history. And this is worst in America. I mean, you remember when the statue toppling, the, the iconoclasm began again mm -hmm. um, in the summer of 2020. People said, well, it started off with some of the southern generals and, and nobody was that worried. By the time they got onto the founding fathers, people <laughs> were getting worried. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln starting to get worried. Yeah. FDR starting mm -hmm. to get worried. There is now not a figure from our past in the West who is looked at in a positive light 
other, by the way, and I show this in the book, other than Karl Marx. Right, he's the one statue that never gets toppled. one statue that never gets toppled. And by the way, he's much more racist than anyone else from my history, as I show in the book. But this, this attempt to clear out our past so that our heroes like Churchill, like Lincoln, are all taken down. Like Jefferson wheeled out of the council chamber in New York last year because Jefferson, in the words of one council member, does not represent our values. Um, this is an attempt to completely clear the public space of all of our heroes and all of our history. This is the moment when the American people and others in the West must say, no, no, you don't get to do this. You do not get to clear away all of our, t of our temples and our holy places. You don't have the right to rewrite our history. You don't have the right to reframe the founding date of America so that we are born in the guilt of slavery and can never get away from it. You do not have that right. Mm. That right is not given to any individual, any newspaper. The American story belongs to the American people. Warts and all, but you don't get to just focus on the warts. That seems to be a basic request that we should have no trouble upholding. Yes. Right? No other Honesty. societies other than Western no. societies in their current manifestation want to feel hatred of themselves. It is only in these societies that we are taught that we should feel guilt and shame for things we did not do. Mm. You, you mentioned Marx's racism, and you go into a lot of depth uh, there. And they're, I mean, they're uncomfortable to even read the quotes that you oh, have. You, we couldn't read them out. We couldn't read them out. Um, I think a lot of people miss the fact that he also was an anti-Semite. Oh, yeah. Which a lot of people think, well, wasn't Marx Jewish? Um, yeah. But can you kind of, kind of go into that he a little hated, bit? He hated. He, he hated the Jewish. Yeah. He hated, he hated Self-hating Jew. Uh, more than self-hating. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and yes, I mean, he, he, when, he use it, when he wants to attack somebody, Marx uh, quite often in private letters will refer to them as an N-word hyphen Jew. Mm. Um, so anyhow, in, in the days since uh, this, since, since um, the war in the West came out, I have um, heard from a certain number of Marxists who are alarmed at what I have brought to the fore. <laughs> and I tell you what their main arguments are against me. They don't deny any of the quotes, any of the many quotes I have. They have two arguments against me. The first is they say, well, he was a man of his time. Okay. Like Jefferson, you right, mean. Right. Like Lincoln, <laughs> yeah. like Churchill. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh -huh. The second one is they say, well, we don't go for him for his private views on race. We go to him for his economic theories. Well, we don't go to the founding fathers solely for their views on race <laughs> right. or anything like it. <laughs> right. uh, we don't go to Churchill for his somewhat Victorian attitudes on various subjects because he was, after all, born in Victorian England. You know, so, in other words, they are on the rear guard trying to defend their guy, mm. but they still think all of our heroes should be treated by this same double standard, this same thing of being guilty of having lived in the past. You know, I identify this because we have to identify what is really going on. This is a war on the foundations of the West, a war on the foundations of Western ideas, of Western peoples, of Western history, Western religion, and Western culture. It is a war on everything at the depths, furthest depths of our society. Everything we have, this war wants to take away from us. We have to be willing to say, no, you won't. 
that's a perfect place to leave it. Although you should not leave it there. You should go get this book. Douglas Murray, the new book is The War on the West. There's all this evidence about all this in, uh, in here as well. And he goes through all the arguments, talks a lot. We didn't even get into religion, which mm. there's a great section on that as well. Uh, make sure you pick up the book. Uh, Douglas, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a huge pleasure. Thank you. So if you're trying to buy or sell a home in a market like this, you know it could be challenging. You need a real estate agent who can come in and help you take charge, understand what repairs need to be made, what's the, what's the price that you should accept, which offer. If you have a bunch of good offers, like so many do these days, which offer should you take, which offer should you reject? It's not always the highest one. It's a complicated process. And if you have a real estate agent that can really understand the market and knows, uh, knows it really well, has the most experience, uh, you're going to do a lot better in what might be the biggest transaction in your entire financial life. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that real estate agent, the best one in your area, no matter where you live in the United States. Go there now, realestateagentsitrust.com. You can get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. Okay, I don't want to panic you. All right, but let me just lay out a concern I have right now. Ukraine. We know the story. Russia invades Ukraine. They go back and forth. We say, hey, you can't do that. That's a bad thing. We don't want you getting any closer to NATO. NATO's freaking out. We say, look, we're going to try to push back. We're going to help Ukraine. Uh, Look, I can understand there's a part of this that you want to get involved in. I understand it. And if we had more competent people at the top, I think I might even understand uh, some of the things that they're doing. I would never understand announcing that you are going to be giving arms to Ukraine. Because if you think about it, if you're a Russian and you're, you know, your son or your daughter dies in battle, and then you learn that the Americans uh, lent the, the, the missile to the Ukrainians that, that did it, you're gonna be a little pissed off about that. And we really don't want to get in a war with Russia. So that's the background here. That is a line, and it's a line that is understood around the world when it comes to global affairs. You help out with some weapons, but you let them de- fire them. The, it, you look, we help, the, help them with the defensive weapons, but they're pressing the buttons. They're doing the work. Our hands are off. We're just helping. Okay. That's a kind of an acceptable part of interactions around the world. We are currently going well beyond that. There's a story in the New York Times talking about how U.S. intelligence is helping Ukraine kill Russian generals. This is according to U.S. officials. Now, there has been some denials. This is not the type of thing where they're saying, yeah, we're doing this and we're really proud of our efforts. Shouldn't you give give me three more points on my approval rating for it? We're sort of still denying this one, which is good, but there are multiple reports on this front. We've talked about it uh, earlier uh, in interviews, and it's important for you to understand that if this is happening, and they, I mean, if they can prove this, if Russians can prove this, there's a really good chance we go to war with Russia over this. Think about what we're talking about here. What they're saying is we're not only giving them the weapons, but we are finding where the generals are on the battlefield, telling the Ukrainians where to fire, and then they're just pressing the buttons. That is way over the line of what's normally acceptable in this type of situation. As of now, we're denying it. You know, it is the New York Times reporting it. Maybe they're wrong. But man, uh, this is a very dangerous line we are walking. And I do not at all trust the people attempting to walk it. 
Okay, so here's what happened. Guy who's 100 years old. He's been working at the same company for a while now. He uh, has broken a record now. He joined on January 17th, 1938. He's been working there for 84 years. He's 100 years old now. And when I first saw this, I was like, 84 years? I've been working with Glenn way longer than that. And then I realized it just feels that way. So actually have not been working here for 84 years. But God, you know, it doesn't seem like a day over 150 five years. Uh, And also we have uh, Canada who is proposing a new law. This time they're not just uh, throwing truckers in jail. They want to throw you in jail if you're on your way to the moon. Uh, They have a new law. It's Canada proposing space law. We have space force. They have space law. Space law uh, to punish crimes committed on the moon. This This is a real thing. Apparently they want Canadian space mounties just to be up, you know, clip clopping on their horses around the moon arresting people who do terrible things, like maybe, I don't know, tweet that they want lower taxes. That's what you get arrested for in Canada. Uh, StuDoesMerch.com is the place to go to get your merch for the show and the fancy new Stu Plus mug and shirt. I think you're going to love it. You can subscribe on YouTube to see the uh, Stu Plus content uh, as well. Uh, Use the code Stu10, by the way, and save 10%. Have a great weekend.